welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. I'm really glad you're here. Sitting around the table with my family last night, one of the kids just asked the question, does God make us do things or do we do things all by ourselves? It's like, oh man. One kid said, you know, we have our own choice. So God's watching and he knows what we're going to do. And uh, then he responds to that and, and they're trying to figure it out. Guess what? These are the, some of the most difficult questions in all of human history and theology. Uh, some call it God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Other people just call it uh, free will versus sovereignty. Other ways of talking about it, um, do we have partial free will or libertarian free will? Um, is, is everything fully predestined? Is God an open God? Some, this is a key word, open theism people use, where he doesn't even know the future. He can kind of guess what people are going to do, but he doesn't actually know what anybody's going to do until they do it, and then he might respond. And So people argue about this stuff, and it's one of the most difficult and deep questions ever. How does my will and God's will interact? God who's God and created everything and uh, is in control of everything, and yet never feels like I'm against going against my will when I do stuff. So what's going on here? Well, this does touch on, partially on our, our portion of scripture we're going to be reading today. We're working through Romans, and uh, Romans 9 through 11, which are some of the most challenging scriptures in the Bible, and trying to deal with what was going on with Israel and the Jewish people in the first century, like 2,000 years ago, and especially that the gospel was coming out of Jerusalem, and uh and being preached throughout the Mediterranean world, and many Jewish people weren't coming. So first of all, uh, the Jewish people crucified their Messiah. And then as the apostles were doing their work, um, there was much success in Jerusalem as people were coming to Christ. But then there was some much persecution, some great persecution. And the Gospels had uh, fled Jerusalem and spread throughout uh, the Mediterranean and was in process of being brought throughout the entire known world at the time of the writing of this letter. And so what's up with that? That's a big question. And so what we've been saying, what I've been saying, is that Romans 9 through 11 is trying to accomplish three things. Number one is trying to defend the trustworthiness of the Word of God to prove that the reason why so many Israelites aren't coming to Christ isn't because God's Word has failed, and that's right from Romans chapter 9. It's not as though God's Word had fa- has failed. And to prove the trustworthiness of God's word so that the Gentiles and Jews together who come to Christ can trust in the promises of God, that God has made them in Christ, that if we believe in his son, that we will be saved. That's a huge promise that is depending upon belief that a man was crucified for sins and raised from the dead for our justification, and that because of our belief in him, we're given the Holy Spirit and that we will live with God forever. That's a huge promise, and if God's word isn't trustworthy, we shouldn't believe the gospel. If God's word can fail, then why won't he fail us as well? The second thing he wants to prove is that in history, at that point in history, a partial hardening was coming upon Israel while the Gentiles were coming in. So not a complete hardening, but a partial hardening. What that means is that under God's sovereignty, under his control over human history, many, many, many Israelites were not going to come in while many, many, many Jewish people do come in. And then there'll be a time where um, that changes, where Israel en masse will come in to join the Gentiles who are in, and that um, this will be a major turning point in human history, maybe the end of time when Christ returns and starts over creation again. So, 
we're in chapter 10, and Paul has just been talking about justification by faith and how um, Israelite was stumbling, Israel was stumbling because they wanted to insist on righteousness by works of the law. And as God was offering them righteousness through faith in Christ, they were rejecting it. And so he's talking about how righteousness by faith comes through hearing the preached word and believing it and then responding by saying, um, believing in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so he's going to ask a bunch of questions to kind of explain what's going on from there. Because, so in verse 17, he says this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And so as we have faith through these things, we are saved. Then he, but he asked this question. So I ask, this is verse 18, have they not heard? And I'm not sure exactly who that they are. Is it the unbelievers? Is it the Israelite people? Probably the Israelite people who aren't coming in. And he says, indeed they have. Four, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Let me just pause there. Um, one of the things Paul's been asserting in this letter is that people have heard enough from God in order to be accountable to him. And so in Romans chapter 1, he says that you know God has revealed himself through his creation, through his invisible qualities. He has made manifest through what he's made so that human beings should turn to him and say, there is a creator who's all powerful and good. Just look at my life. Just look at this world. Somebody made this. It's pretty amazing. And whoever made this has been obviously very generous because I eat and I sleep and um, have a family and all this stuff. We should worship him. We should give thanks to him. That, that's what should happen. And what interferes with that is sin, sin in our hearts, which makes us not want to give the invisible creator glory but instead we want to take something from creation, worship it, including ourselves sometimes, and in that act of wanting to w- commit idolatry and exalt the creature above the creator, we're twisted, we're turned, we're bent, we pursue sensuality instead of holiness, um, our sexuality gets all messed up and expressed in all kinds of ways that obviously don't work with how the human body's meant to work, and we just go after each other in sin and murder and um, slander and backbiting and uh, all this stuff. And so Paul essentially is saying, if you look at the world and how messed up it is, And you look at the world and how beautiful it is. On the one hand, we should be giving God more thanks than we do, the invisible creator. And at the other hand, we should be looking at how messed up we are and thinking something's gone terribly wrong here. And so he kind of is having that similar argument here again. Uh, They can't say they never heard. And um, now there's something interesting going on here because Paul is quoting some one Psalm 19, and Psalm 19 at this part is talking about the heavens declaring God's word and the skies proclaiming his, his handiworks. And so he's not talking about actual people doing the proclaiming. So I don't know if he's coming back here and saying, again, creation declares enough about God that we should have faith in him. Or if he's actually taking this these verses and talking about how creation used to be the main way that people would hear about God but now he's added to this gospel preachers. And so where creation fails because of human sin, not creation failing, but the human sin messing things up, now gospel preachers go out and proclaim the, the works of God through raising Jesus from the dead. And um, people hear and they respond to this. 
And so as the message has gone out to Israel, and it really did, like fairly quickly in human history, Jerusalem got preached to through Jesus and the apostles, and then the message made its way to Rome really quickly. And as the apostles went out, they would usually go and preach to the Jewish people first. And so they were hearing this message um, from these messengers. So I'm not sure which way exactly it is. I think it's the second one. Um, He's referring to gospel preachers who are now kind of standing in the place of creation, the ones preaching the mighty acts of God. Now, not through just creation, but through what he has done through Jesus Christ. And then he asked the second question, but I ask, did Israel not understand? So maybe it wasn't that they didn't hear, maybe it's just that they didn't understand. And Paul doesn't accept that. He says, first, uh, God is doing something here. So God says through Moses, verse 19, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, and with a foolish nation I will make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold to say, this is verse 20, I have been found by those who do not seek me. And I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me, verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. So this is what, um, in the human level, on the human perspective, this is really what's hung Israel up. Uh, When God reaches out to them, they're contrary and disobedient. And there's almost this sense, I wouldn't push this too far, but there's almost this sense that God is saying, look, it wouldn't really matter what I offered you for salvation, whether it was the law or it was my son or something else. When I hold out my hand to you, you reject it. It's a heart issue. It's almost like he's saying, I'm not sure if that's exactly what he means, but that's kind of what I'm hearing. But what Paul is saying is going on here is it's not just a failure of understanding, whether because they didn't hear or because God wasn't clear. There's something huge going on here. Israel is disobedient and um, contrary, a disobedient contrary people to God in general. And God is doing this thing with the Gentiles where he's saving this people who did not cry out for him or weren't reaching out to him. And he's saving them so that he actually stirs up jealousy amongst this contrary people so that they actually want what God is giving to the Gentiles. And so there's the, Paul is saying this is what God is doing. There's this Israelite people, and they're generally rebellious. Um, just look at the history of Israel from Moses all the way through to uh, the end of Chronicles. They generally rebel when God does something. And um, God is doing something among the Gentiles in order to stir up jealousy amongst them. And Paul will pick this up in chapter 11 as well. He'll say, you know, I actually, one of my motivations in ministry is I want to see tons of Gentiles worshiping the God of Israel so that the Israelites will turn and say, hey, I want some of that. Um, That's uh, verse 13 of chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. But this is what's going on. He's saying, look, what's happening is that God has determined that at this time, this, these people who weren't seeking for me are going to find me. So the Gentiles in the Mediterranean area, um, they're worshiping their idols. They're going about their business. And then all of a sudden, someone shows up and starts pre- preaching Jesus. And they believe and they get saved. Lots of them. They were they were never seeking the God of Israel. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, wait, you can get right with the creator God through Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit gives them a new birth. And they say, this is something I want. I actually believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And he is my Lord now. And boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, these people who weren't seeking God at all are all of a sudden God's people. They've, God's found them, or they found God. All of a sudden, they weren't seeking, whoa, what? This is true. And they believe. And God's purpose in that is to stir up jealousy amongst the Israelites because generally they are hard-hearted towards him no matter what he does. 
That's my summary of verses 18 through 21. And so Paul continues in verse 1 of 11. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? So has God totally rejected them? Is this a sign of the end? Is this the sign that God's done? He's just, he's washed his hands. He's walked away. And Paul's going to say no to that from here. So for the next long while, Paul is establishing that God has not definitively and finally rejected his people. And that's not what's happening here. Something else is happening. And he's going to begin by saying, no, God has, first of all, kept a remnant at this very time. So he says, by no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So Israelite, Abraham's descendant physically, and physical uh, member of the tribe of Benjamin. So the fact that Paul is saved when he had rejected Christ to start off, shows and proves that God is still saving Israelites. And then he says, number two, God has not rejected his people who he foreknew. Okay, so that's the answer. Has God rejected his people? No, he foreknew them. So he he chose them beforehand. He knew them beforehand. He knew what he wanted to do with them beforehand. He established a covenant with them in time and he hasn't quit on his covenant. And so he's going to say eventually there will be this mass turning of Israelites to Christ. But he's going to begin by saying that God has a chosen remnant that he saved by grace. And so he's going to continue. He says this, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah and how he appealed to God against Israel? So this is talking about time in 1 Kings, um, after Solomon's done and Elijah the prophet has been raised up. Um, This is after the whole episode with the prophets of Baal, where God sends the fire down on Elijah's offering, uh, but the Israelites don't. um, They have a little success in getting rid of Baal, but they don't turn away permanently. And Elijah complains. He says, Lord, they've killed your prophets and they've demolished your altars and I am alone. I am left by myself and they seek my life. So these are the Israelites. They're trying to kill the true prophet of God. But what is it that God's reply replies to him? That's verse four. He says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. So these are really powerful verses, okay? So what is it? Is it human will? Is it God's will? Well, on the one hand, Paul says, by and large, the Israelites don't want to come. And God is doing this thing where he's choosing Gentiles and he's leaving this stubborn heart amongst the Israelites there. But at the same time, he's chosen to have a remnant that's selected by grace. The same way that Elijah, when he was complaining that there are no Israelites truly worshiping God, God says to him, yeah, there are. There's this 7,000 that I have kept for myself. My own activity has kept for myself 7,000 Israelites who have not bowed the knee. They're faithful Israelites, and I kept them. This is what I've done. I've accomplished it. And so as Paul sees, reads that story, he says, same thing's happening here. There, There is a widespread not turning to Christ, but there's also this chosen remnant that God says over, I have kept these people for myself. I've done it. This is my will that's accomplished this. And and do the people actually will that they follow Christ? Yeah, they actually believe. They actually believe the message in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and that he is the Lord. They confess it with their mouth. They actually believe this. And here's God standing over them saying, yeah, and I've actually chosen them as a remnant to be mine at this time by grace. And then Paul continues this and he says, verse 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. 
So, God has chosen his people by grace. They're not saved because they do the works of the law. In fact, in, in this instance, I, as I'm understanding this, the grace doesn't just mean saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but grace uh, is emphasizing that God took the initiative to keep a people for himself. He said, I could have just left all the Israelites. If I just left them in their stubbornness, none of them would have come. But I chose a people for myself. I selected a remnant for myself. And that's why I have a people for myself, chosen by grace. I th- I don't understand it. It seems to me to be the plain reading here of what's going on. So I think we'll call it quits for there, for now. Um, but let me just point us back to these three key things. Do you see how, can you hear how many times Paul is quoting scripture to explain what's going on in the present circumstance. So obviously God's word has not failed because God has prophesied all these things that happen. So as God fulfills his word, how can he be also not fulfilling his word? No, God has uh, told us what's going to happen and he is fulfilling his word. Therefore, we can trust the gospel because the crazy stuff that was happening in the first century was actually fulfilling God's word. And so the same God who says, this is what's going to happen with the Gentiles in Israel. It's going to get messy. There's going to be a remnant. There's going to be apostasy. There's going to be this people group among the Gentiles who never saw me, but they found me. If, if that is being fulfilled in the first century, then surely we can trust the promises of the gospel, that as we trust in Christ, we are right with God, we're given the Holy Spirit, and we will be saved. Number two, that there's a partial hardening happening over Israel while the Gentiles are coming. This is specifically what he says here. Um, he specifically says, look, right now there's a remnant chosen by grace of Israel, but by and large that they, they aren't coming because God is bringing in the Gentiles for a purpose. And number three, that God is amazing in all of this stuff. And there's a part where you kind of just need to bow down what, where, where Paul is writing that God is keeping a remnant for himself chosen by grace. There's kind of just like, this is just beyond human experience. You can't like wake up in the morning and go, I'm experienced being chosen by grace. I'm experienced being kept as a remnant by God's own choosing. You know, it doesn't feel like that. But God says, yeah, I'm doing that. And so there's a part of us where we just kind of need to say, oh, God, I worship you. I, I am so not God in this. I'm just a creature. And all I can do is um, try to understand your word and accept what you're saying. But I, I can't judge you. I can't rule over you. I can't overrule you. I can't kind of try to climb into the throne of heaven and be your peer as you rule over the world. All I can do is, is say, you're amazing. And that's where Paul's going to bring us at the end of chapter 11 to, to confess that God is wiser than we're wise, stronger than we're strong. Even the weakness of God is stronger than us. Even the foolishness of God is wiser than us. To quote 1 Corinthians, we can't judge him. And so we can just worship him as he works out his plans. So be blessed, Christian. Trust in the word of God and humble yourself um, in, in the fact knowing that God chose you. And, uh, and be blessed as you go about your week. Thank you.